Israel. And the child is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fiery red dragon is Satan. And so we've looked at that over the last couple of weeks. And we got to, uh, in your notes, to a couple of verses before um, we jumped into verse 7. And if you remember, we were looking at all the places in the Old Testament um, and the New Testament when it talks about the dragon uh, or Satan and how he was at work. And we looked at how he, since the very beginning, has hated the Jewish people. And we looked into um, how he works. Uh, and when we got to Exodus chapter 1, and um, there at verse in Exodus chapter 1, and about how Satan has continually tried to eradicate the Jewish people. And um, tonight, if you don't care, I would love for uh, uh, anybody that would like to read. Uh, they can, um, and they would like to, after I pray, we're going to jump right in here in the book of Exodus. So, Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word. We thank you, Lord, for how you are at work and moving. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you would help us to understand your word, Lord, that your spirit, the revealer of all truth, would guide us, Lord, that we would learn to trust you more, to love you more, and Lord, just to rely on your power and your provision our lives. And so Lord, we just ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so if anyone would read that passage of scripture from Exodus there, I left out a number, so it's not actually Exodus chapter 1, but the verses are correct. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, and then the name of one was Shephrah, the name of the other Huah. And he said, when you do the duties of the midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them on birth to if it is a son, and you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing to save the male children alive? So if you remember, the children of Israel were multiplying and a Pharaoh rose up who did not remember Joseph and said, we got to do something about this. We're ever invaded. Now, this group of people is going to rise up with our enemies and turn against us. And so for the very simple reason of population control, Pharaoh said, we want to murder all of the male children who were born. And so that is another example of how the dragon has tried to persecute the Jewish people. If someone would like to read from the book of Matthew, that verse is on the front of this page and the top of the next. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the five children who were in Bethlehem and in all his districts from two years old and under. According to the time which he had determined from the wise then just a flip, then something was fulfilled. Is that right? Yeah, it should be on the back, sorry. Was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are in war. And so once again, we see this pattern. And if you flip back in your notes to Revelation chapter 2, 
uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 12, uh, it literally talks about, uh, in verse 4, we'll skip that very first part, it says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. And that takes us into the verse today in the book of Luke, chapter 4, because Herod wanted to kill the Lord Jesus. And so when he could not do that, based on the wise men's testimony, he killed all of the children, two and under. And it just, it's unbelievable. We get it's true. So let's look here at Luke chapter 4 once again, if someone would like to read that. Many, many lepers were in Israel in the time of the Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except for me and the Syrians. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built. They might throw him down over the cliff, and passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So not only did they try to eradicate the Jewish people in Egypt, not only did they try to eradicate uh, the birth of Christ, not only did they uh, try to do all of these things, they tried to murder him as an adult. And you say, why does this matter? Because as we look at the fiery dragon again tonight, we saw there in verse 4 that he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the child who devoured her child, who gave birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And so she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. That word caught is the same word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when referencing the rapture. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 years. And so this idea of Satan persecuting the woman and her offspring. Now there are two verses I, I want to look at that are not in your notes tonight. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, if somebody would find that. And Jude, which only has one chapter, verse 6. 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude chapter 1. The only one there. If I find those, if you read one of those, it would be greatly appreciated. Second Peter two verse four. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, they cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction. Now, you're good. 
So we're trying to look at verses that teach us, like the book of Revelation, that Satan rebelled, that he took some of the angels with him, and that it's not just taught here, it's taught other places. If you read Jude chapter 1, which is only one chapter, verse 6, somebody would read that. In the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So once again, talking about rebellious angels, we won't get into what they did because there's a lot of disagreements. We'll just say that they rebelled with Satan. But the most important verse to study when we think about the rebellion of Satan and the angels that went with him comes from the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, Jesus was speaking and he had just sent the 70 out. And they were preaching and they were doing miracles and God was at work. And in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And listen to what the Lord said. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So we have seen the book of Jude, we've seen Second Peter, and the Lord himself talks about this rebellion and fall of Satan. And that's important because if we're going to understand the book of Revelation, we have to know who these individuals are, what they're trying to accomplish, what, what they're trying to do. Um, and that is so important uh, because when we look here in this passage of Scripture, it just builds. So in verses 1 through 6, we see the woman. I did mention to you that some people view this as the church. I, I disagree with that. I believe it is Israel. Um, we looked at the child, how is the Lord Jesus Christ, and those verses talking about him ruling and reigning. And then we look at the dragon. And it's all important because when we go from verses 1 through 6, and, and I know that you who have been here remember this, and you're, you're tired of me saying this, but if you are a believer living through the tribulation, um, and you cannot imagine why this is happening, or... or or what's going on. Someone that was saved during this period of time. You're thinking, why is the majority of the world dying? Why are we facing earthquakes and, and famine and all of this stuff? And it, it's this reminder that, hey, this is not just a physical battle. This is a spiritual war that Satan has started from the beginning. And all of this is, is going on, but God is in control. All right, God is not... Abandon you. And so it's just very encouraging for us to look at this. You say, well, Jake, what if I believe in the uh, pre-tribulation rapture? Well, so do I. But what I do know is that I will have family, friends that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that they will have the word of God. I pray they will know the word of God. I pray they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, Jake, do you believe non-Jewish people will be saved during the tribulation? I do. I think the last half, it gets a little more tricky, and maybe not, but the first half, I do believe. I believe you'll have 
Jewish people saved. I believe you'll have Gentiles saved. And so to be reading this when you're watching all of the persecution and all of the heartache and all of the pain, you can go to this chapter and say, the Lord's in control. The Lord is in control. And I have to trust him. And what that means for me and you today is that we have to trust him in the storms of life and the challenges of life and the difficulties of life. Because the Bible tells us that we're all going to face persecution. We're all going to face trials and tribulation. And to count it all, joy. joy. That's, that's probably the, one of the verses I struggle with the most in all of the Bible. I've really been thinking about that here lately. What verses do I struggle with the most that I need to really be praying about for the Lord to help me? That's the first one, I think. And the second one is do all things without disputing and complaining. Those, those really eat at me. Because I can be prideful, I can repent. I can even be uh, angry and repent. But those two just seem like a lifestyle, don't they? Oh, I have no joy in this circumstance. I want to complain in this circumstance. And so it's one that I'm constantly struggling with. If you've ever been in pain, it's one thing to have pain and have it fixed. It's another thing to be in pain and then not be able to what? To fix it. And so I feel like those two verses, I need them and I need the correction. But boy, when I pray over them, I think, Lord, I need your help. And so I just want to encourage you with this. So questions, thoughts, before we, we jump into the nice part where it gets a little more tricky. I think it's ironic in the, the uh, Exodus passage. They wondered which Pharaoh was the Pharaoh of the Exodus, but we know who the two midwives are. Yeah, it, it amazes me how things like that happen in the scriptures, right? The things that I think should be big deals, the Lord just mentions them, right? And then moves on. And then things that I think are, you know, that shouldn't be, they are. And it's like the Lord just knows, Jake, you don't know everything. <laughs> so just read it, believe it, and trust it, right? Well, there's about how many times have I read over those names and just didn't think about it. And it's like, well, you know, wow. Well, even for the even the any of the genealogies, right? I think we're all probably guilty of just passing over on those the most boring parts of the Bible, but yet the Mormon church took that and made that the center part point of their religion, right? Your genealogies and being buried for your family and, and are baptized for your family and, and getting them out of Yeah, for dead people. So, I mean, uh, not the part I would have picked to build a religion on, but hey, you know. So, when we looked at verses 1 through 6, we looked at why things had happened and were happening. But when we look at verses 7 through 12, we see what is going on in this moment. And when we look here about this war in heaven, there is one of two thoughts before we jump into this. Some Bible scholars believe that this is a war that is going to take place at the halfway point of the tribulation or at the beginning of the tribulation, whatever the reason is. Others look back as this is a reference to when Satan rebelled the first time. Okay? I believe... My personal belief, and I'll we'll try to look at that, is that when the rapture happens, for whatever reason, 
Satan then leads this rebellion. Um, maybe because it's, he's the prince of the air, people are going through the air, I don't know, all right? But this is a war that is fought in the heavens, and then he is cast down, and that is why you see things get so bad in the tribulation. Other Bible scholars disagree and believe that this is just another example of us being explained why the world is the way it is, okay? So those are the two main views here on this passage of Scripture. And so let's just read it and go from there. And war broke out in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, a very important phrase, who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the land and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. And so it's very plain in the what happens here, but the question is, when did it happen? Uh, what time frame is it in? Because if you read the book of John in chapter 12, if somebody would like to read that, I would greatly appreciate it. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of the, this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Then he said, signify, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. So we see the ruler of this world, knowing that Satan, we see now is the judgment of this world. And so some people will say, well, no, Satan is, is already judged. He has no power. He can't do anything. Well, he is absolutely judged, but we know that he's still at work. Because when we look at the book of Romans, Paul writes right here in chapter 16, verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so that's why you've heard people say that Satan is a defeated foe. And that he has already been judged, but yet his punishment will not be rendered until he is thrown into the lake of fire. That he is working and, and, and doing things but yet he has already been ultimately defeated. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, we see this begin to be explained. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him, referencing to Satan who had the power of death. That is the devil. And so we know as Christians, 
that when we die, uh, when we leave this world, absent from the body is with the Lord. Because why? Jesus, in Revelation, has the keys, right? To death and to Hades. And so we see that, that the Lord Jesus Christ wins, that he uh, has passed judgment, but yet that sentence has not been fully executed yet. And that will happen as we looked in the later parts of Revelation. Because look what it says in 1 John. Because he didn't, 1 John, the writer tells us, we need to be careful how we live, careful how we listen. You are of God, little children. He's talking to the children of God. And have overcome them because who, who is he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is a reference to Satan as he is working, as he is moving, as his followers are trying to tear the church apart or trying to lead the people astray. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. And who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so we see that Satan is still at work. We know that he can cause believers to stumble, um, but yet he cannot take you from the Lord. All right, he cannot take the gift that God has given you. But yet we see here why that is. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so whether that's the Lord Jesus Christ who is our personal Savior, whether that is the Spirit of God that indwells us, whether that is the Father who has a purpose and plan for our life, God compared to a created being. All right? Satan is not God. And I want to give you a few verses as you ask questions that are not in your notes tonight. What was the last one you just read? What was it? The last the last passage you just read. From first John four, verses four through six. So these are some of the things that I have heard, you will hear, or you can read. The Satan is equal to God. That he resides in and rules over hell. That he can do whatever he pleases. That he's omnipresent. That he's all places. But none of those things are found in the word of God. And so I did not come up with this list, but I would love to give you this list for your benefit. According to Job 1 and Matthew 4, Satan is a personal being with a mind emotions and a will he's not some force of evil that just hovers around in no he was created according to ezekiel the 28th chapter he is a created being and he is not equal to god Satan does not rule hell regardless of what the countless movies you have seen. Hell was created as a punishment for Satan and his demons, Matthew chapter 25. Neither does Satan live in hell as the Bible describes 
how he can enter heaven and roam the earth, Job chapter 1. Like I said, this is not my list, but I think it is a very, very good one. The devil can only do what God allows, Job chapter 1, verse 12. Satan is not omnipresent, like God is all places at all times, knowing all things at all times, is all powerful. But Ephesians 6 does tell us, in verse 12, that he oversees a horde. Ephesians 6, verse 12, a multitude of demons. And Ephesians 6 calls them the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Give me just a minute because I don't want to get going too fast. Matthew 13 tells us that he actively works to affect the word of God in people's hearts. Matthew 13 verses 3 and 4. You say, Jake, why didn't I give all these to you? Because you look at me like you're asleep sometimes, so this helps. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he blinds the minds of those who do not believe so that they cannot understand the gospel. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4. And you say, well, Jake, that's a lot of bad stuff. Well, I'm going to also give you what the Bible says about dealing with him. And mostly the schemes of him. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8, the word of God says, be alert and have sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Be alert means to be on guard, means sober, means to have a mind clear of all influencing things. Whether it's the influence of this world, whether it's the influence that uh, makes you not think right, spiritually or physically. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 that we are to be resisting him vigilantly, steadfastly, and aware of the understanding that he is trying to make us unfruitful to the Lord. That's a very important word, unfruitful. He cannot take you from the palm of God's hand, but he can make you useless. You say, what, do you, what is an example of that? Here's one. He's called to pastor. Begins to pastor a church. Decides to get a girlfriend. Now I don't care what you think about this. But the Bible says that individual is disqualified. From being in a pastor position. If you don't like it. Take it up with me later. What that person has done. Is he has become unfruitful. Not that he can't bear fruit again. Right? Not that he can't serve in a different role. Not, none of those things. But the damage that he will do. To not only his family. And a church. Satan has made him unfruitful for a season. Same way goes for a Sunday school teacher. 
deacon, a church that splits, what Satan does is he does not take you from God, but he makes you unfruitful. So, James chapter 4 tells us that when tempted, believers are to do what? Submit to the Lord and resist the devil. And then it goes on to say something else, that Satan will what? Flee from, from you. That's what James says. So when we say, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't deal with my temptation. I can't deal with my struggle. I can't deal with the influence that Satan has over me. That's not biblical. Because what does it say? Resist the devil, submit to the Lord, and Satan will flee. You see, that's not what it means. Well, I, but I don't know what to tell you. Does that mean that his influences will stay gone forever? Absolutely not. As we've been looking in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when God is at work, when God is moving, when God is blessing a church, Satan is working more then than any other time. That's what we looked at in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So, not only does Satan tempt us here through his minions, but look at verse 10 tonight of this passage of Scripture. Because this is where things begin to get kind of difficult for us. In verse 10 of chapter 12, it literally says, as I can get my Bible there, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. That's awesome. All right? It's a declaration that we win. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. If somebody would like to flip over to Job chapter 1, we see an example of this in the story of Job. And there are two thoughts on this tonight. That one, Satan literally spends his time in heaven trying to make God not love you. Talking about your faults, your sins, your failures. That is why the Bible says we have an advocate who sits at the right hand of the Father. You say, do I believe that literally? That's what it says, all right? Others believe that Satan does not have access to heaven, but yet he is always making it known to God because God knows everything through what he does, through how he works, all right? Yes? Wouldn't Job contradict that? Well, that's where we're getting ready to go to. Because then you get into the question, if Satan is the one that threw the human race into sin, how can he be in the presence of God if God does not allow sin into his presence? So, but Job 1, I think, settles the issue. I believe that Job settles the discussion. All right? Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. What does it say? Would someone like to read that? There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them. The Lord said to Satan, Whence thou come? Thou come. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. So, the question is is it literal? Is that what it means? I believe yes. 
And what I believe is at that halfway point or at some point during the tribulation, for whatever reason, Satan and his angels try to rebel, then God removes that access, throws him to the earth, and that is why you see things begin to intensify during that seven-year period because he does not have access. He knows that he's been defeated. And like this verse says, at the end of chapter 12 and verse 10, has been cast down. And you go down to verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, all right? The heavenly bodies, the heavenly area, the, the people worshiping in heaven, the angels in God, and you who dwell in them, all right? Woe to the inhabitants of the what? The earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So, questions, thoughts? You know, the whole viewpoint of, you know, what God allows the devil to do, I mean, for him to come into God's presence in your is that it's at the Lord's pleasure, not the devil's. Absolutely. The devil will come on his own. And then the other thing is, with all the attributes of the devil, I mean, the Lord has a purpose for the devil as well. It's not that, you know, yeah. his adversary is just, you know, just there. There's, in some fashion, somehow, what the devil is doing is fulfilling God's plan and also going to ultimately bring glory to God. Other thoughts? So, let's look a few more verses about this. And so, when you go to the book of Revelation, we see, one, that he was in heaven, beginning. He rebelled and lost access at some points, but could still go. We see in Revelation 12 that he is thrown to the earth. And I referenced this last week, but we didn't have time to get into it. But then I believe at the end of chapter 19, when the Lord returns and the Lord destroys his enemies and the Lord sets up his 1,000 millennial year kingdom, that these verses in chapter 20 describe where Satan will be. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, which we've already looked at that, what that is, what that references, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so look at verse 10 right there. The devil, we're talking about the same red dragon, the same thing that we've been looking at, who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and so i believe in a literal lake of fire all right i believe that there is a literal place <coughs> that people that satan that the fallen angels will spend eternity at all right I don't believe that you will cease to exist like some people do. I don't believe that there's a time when you can punish for your sins for a while and move up. Uh, that's not what it says. Look what it says there at the end of that verse. 
and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, having no end. And so that is a terrifying thought for those that do not know the Lord. That's why we're given the Great Commission. That's why we're commanded to preach the gospel. That's why we're commanded to love those who do not know Jesus Christ. Because on the one side, the Bible promises us for those that know the Lord, we will be with him forever and ever. And for those who reject him, reject the life that is given to them, they will be separated from him forever and ever. And you say, why does this matter? Because when we're looking through this, God is trying to explain to them and to remind them all that is going to go on, all that is happening. And what is so important is to remember that even though it seems like we have a foe that we cannot defeat, when you look around in the world and it's evident that Satan is at work, right? We don't have a murderer of a two years old and under, but we've got a murderer of up until the moment they're born. And in this state, you can murder them on the table once they come out, all right? You look what the Bible says, that is not of the Lord, all right? And so we watch just the, if you read the first chapter of Romans, and, and we're not going to read the whole first chapter of Romans, you look at the slippery slope of wickedness, right? When God gives us over to a reprobate mind, and you just watch it like, well, that's where we're headed, right? And, and the Bible even says that don't give up when it looks like the wicked are winning, right? Don't pay attention to that, because God is in control. And so we have never lived through a time like this. As bad as you think it is, it's not that bad. All right? You're still able to congregate here tonight under no fear of persecution or retribution. You know, you're here worshiping, eating, fellowshipping. There's coming a day. Things are going to be bad for those who name the name of Jesus. Persecution, destruction, pain. <coughs> But let's look at this Ephesians chapter 6. Because you're saying, well, Jake, if I'm not going to be here, then what does this matter? Look what it says in Ephesians 6. And we looked at one of them earlier. But how do I live? As a father, how do I lead my family? As, as a dad, how do I lead my family? As a pastor, how do I lead this church? Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord. You have to know who you belong to if you're going to be fruitful for the Lord. You have to know who you belong to. And in the power of his might, you have to believe that not only are you his, but that he is able. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your kids, whether it's your prodigal, whether it's your health situation, whatever scheme Satan and his fallen kingdom are throwing at you. If you don't know who you belong to and you don't know the power that God has, you will never be useful to God. You'll always be living in a state of failure. Okay? But it doesn't just stop there. It's not about what you think. It builds on that. Put on the whole armor of God. We're not going to go through the armor of God. You've all been in vacation Bible school, or you can look in the book of Ephesians and find it, okay? That you may be able to stand against the wiles, if you have the New King James Version. Some versions say the schemes, the trickery of the devil. 
There is no excuse not to be prepared for battle. As children of God, there is no excuse. Um, Aaron is, uh, is still serving our country, goes back regularly for regular trainings, uh, different schooling. Uh, why? Because he is being prepared for the threats that another nation might pose. If he didn't train, he didn't prepare, when that day happened, he would know some things, but he might not know what is needed to defend our country. It just makes sense. You look at him and say, well, that makes sense. He's got to go back. He's got to be trained. He's moving up. All of these things, right? But if we look at our Christian life, well, I don't need to be prepared. I'll just get up today and wing it. I'll just go today and work and just let it all fly. No, we're in a spiritual battle. We know the enemy. Right, I was listening to, as bad as it sounds, one of the Biden administration today was talking about how China is the great threat of tomorrow, that they are preparing for war. Who it's with, you can take a guess. And for the United States not to be preparing as well is foolishness. Now, that's not from the Trump administration or the Bush administration. That's from the Biden administration. They know that there is potential danger. I pray that it never happens. I pray that it's never an issue. I, I believe we're still far ahead of it, but the threat is there. And friends, we have to be on guard. That's what it says there. Because you are going to face attacks. Now, I used to, uh, I've always had a rule, right? Never be alone with a woman. I'm never alone with a woman that is younger than my mother. All right, I go visit our little old ladies. If you're older than my mother, I will come visit you, all right? But if you are younger than my mother, I'm not gonna spend time with you alone, right? If you're, if you're gonna come to the church for counseling, my door's gonna be open, there's gonna be someone else here. Why? Because you gotta be on guard. You say, Jake, with a face like that, no one could love you. Well, at least one woman did, right? I got one to marry me. So don't think it's an accident when you start a new new job and some men and some woman starts working with you in the world we live in now, some guy starts flirting with you at the water cooler. That is a scheme of saying, ladies, same thing. Because we, we men and women operate different. When you're at work and you've got that new coworker who just listens to you and he understands you and he can allow you to share those things about your home and your marriage that your husband just doesn't understand. Look up here. That is a scheme of Satan. You say, Jake, do you believe that that extreme? Absolutely right. Do I view people as people that should be led to the Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But not in private. And not of the opposite sex. You say, Jake, does that ever get you in trouble? It does. Not with me. But with people who don't like that. And I've had that before. I've had people say, that's, and I'm not going to go into that. But anyway, <laughs> I can, yeah. <laughs> but you have to be on guard. You say, well, Jake, I don't struggle with beautiful women, all right? If you're a guy, you can say that you're one in a million, all right? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's money. There, there's a list of them, and Satan has watched you. The, the, the third of the angels who went with him have watched you and they know not what's in your heart or your mind but they have watched the evidence of your sin they know how to work 
But what does it say? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be. I'm not going to go on until you say it. Able. Not that you might, but that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says you can have spiritual victory in your life. Doesn't say spiritual perfection, but spiritual victory. It goes on in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. It's repeated. Don't miss that. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You say, Jake, we just can't have a marriage that honors God. Yes, you can. Jake, we just can't raise children that honor the Lord. Yes, you can. Jake, I just can't get victory over this sin in my life. Yes, you can. You can. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. But does that mean that you and I can make excuses for the way we are? No. No. So here's an example of this. And since you all just ate a ton, you can take it for what it's worth. No one forces me to commit gluttony. I shovel in one spoon at a time. You say, but I'm so hungry. You know what? I can drink water. I can eat salad. Why do you not grocery shop on an empty stomach? Now, do I always grocery shop and then still stop at a restaurant on my own? Yes, which makes no sense. Yeah, and before and sometimes I go after for ice cream, even though we have it in the car. But tonight I really want you to pray about what is that area in your life that you just keep struggling in, that you keep falling in, that you keep failing in, and to trust God with it. And to be preparing, to be focused. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're almost done, I promise. I got you out early last week. We'll get out all the time this week. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now don't miss this. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. In your verse, I cut out the last couple of words, so you hook. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Ignorant of his devices is what you need right now. What Paul says is, I had every right to tell that individual and his mother-in-law who were in a sexual relationship they were wrong and that they should be put out of the church and those people who were living this way they should be confronted it should be dealt with but the moment they repented and asked for forgiveness I forgave them because if I do not forgive others Who uses it? Satan. This is this is for what it's worth. Why do you think so many Baptist churches are dying? Most Baptist churches preach just about the same sermons I do. 
Almost every Baptist preacher friend I have believes the Word of God, preaches the Word of God. They might preach too long. They might preach too short. They might stutter too much. They might not have good delivery. But the ones that I know in our area genuinely try to preach the Word. Now, they might not preach it as dumb as I do sometimes or, or uh, jump into some fires like I do, but they, it's not that. Most churches genuinely want to see people say They don't have a desire sometimes to change to do it. But I've never met a pastor that says, I just can't wait for my church to die. I'm just so looking forward to it. The reason I believe most churches die is because they don't forgive. And Satan uses it to tear apart. You know how I know that? I've seen it here. By the grace of God, it hasn't tore us apart. But tonight, I guarantee that if I asked you to think about the one person that you have the hardest time going to church with, something would come to your mind. You might say, well, thankfully, they don't go here anymore. That might be what you But you're not forgiven. You say, well, oh, Jake, you just don't know what they did, what they said. Look up here. God is merciful for a season. But if a church cannot forgive one another, Satan will tear it apart. That's what it says there, doesn't it? Lest Satan should take advantage of who? Us. He's not, he didn't say take advantage of me. He didn't say take advantage of you. He said take advantage of us. Who's Paul referring to? The church at Corinth. He says Satan tear us apart. Take advantage of it. You say, well, that sounds like a good thing. No, it isn't. Not at all. It means in taking advantage of in our own mind, what does it think of? Being used, abused, losing what matters to us. And that's what he says will happen. And then I got one more verse and then you can throw a tomato down. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians 11, we see this great warning in chapter 11, starting in verse 12. But what I do, I will continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Paul says, I'm going to keep preaching the word, leading the church, because there are people who are trying to do it not to honor God, but to destroy the church. Alright? Don't miss that. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, outwardly, not inwardly, okay? And no wonder, don't be surprised, don't be shocked, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, he, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You say, Jake, what does that have to do with where we're living? Because Satan works, Satan moves in the same way. Now, I want to just... I want you to look at this verse very quickly before we close. The people who act the most spiritual. This is going to get in trouble. And sometimes be the most wicked. 
And you say, how do you know if someone's acting spiritual? That's, that's a discussion you can have with me any other time, all right? Be very careful of the person who always talks about their spiritual superiority. Watch how they live. Most people know they get more flies with honey than what? I never get upset when someone comes up to me and I can see on their face they're angry. And that happens fairly regularly here. <laughs> Boy, I really hate it when I know they're bad and this is how they look. Oh, gosh, preacher, that was just so great. So glad to have you. Now, some people genuinely mean it. Don't, don't be wrong. All right, some of you are going, that's me. No, I'm not talking about you, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Friends, be very careful of the person who appears godly, who is trying to look godly, but what they're trying to do is destroy your walk with the Lord or destroy the church. I've seen that more over the last five years than I ever could have imagined. Everybody's right. No one was wrong. Everything was I'm the victim. Be careful of that. Don't be like that as a Christian. We should be open and honest about our faults, our mistakes, our failures. As a pastor, I've had to apologize way more than I ever wanted to. But probably not near as much as I should have. I've made jokes and, and statements that I wish I could have taken back the moment they left my mouth. But all you can do is say you're sorry. I've seen people trying to tear this church apart. It just is what it is. But one of the funniest stories, and I'll tell you this, we had a member. She was an older lady. She was, anyway. And I went out to visit her at a, somewhere. And in front of all of these people, this is a public setting. Me, some other people from church, were standing in the lobby of this place. And she looks at me and goes, You? And the deacons of that church are not worth the bullet to put you out of your misery. And turn and walk right down the hallway. I went visit her. Everything was fine. She was mad. She was grouchy. She was old. It was all okay. All right? And at the moment, I was mortified because it was like a lobby full of people. And they're all going. But you know what? That has not hurt me near as bad. That's when I had to hear about it from someone else, right? When they acted godly, looked godly, tried to appear godly, but then you're looking for the knife. You, you want to pull that out while you're here. And so, friends, don't be surprised. Satan works this way. We can be used by him if we're not careful. Every one of us, myself included. You're all thinking about that statement now, right, aren't you? It's true. That's true. I, I, but friends, never forget that Satan is always at work. He's always trying to destroy. He's always trying to get a foothold in your life. Don't let him.